Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg, host and producer of Confabulation. For Confabulation, the podcast, we feature stories told at our live events. All of our stories are true as can be told, as shared by the people that lived them. This week on the podcast, we're bringing you a story from Joe Conto. Joe is a wonderful person. If there are heroes of Confabulation, Joe Conto ranks highest among them. Joe is an improviser, a teacher, a storyteller. He actually comes up to Montreal to do events from upstate New York. I'm not entirely sure where he lives. I kind of imagine it's this magical, fictional castle somewhere. This story is from February 2014's I Put a Spell on You, which were stories of seduction, romance, and uh, Joe's is pretty hot and heavy. Please enjoy Joe Conto. Thank you. I would like to tell you a story of love and loss. <laughs> and how four women broke my heart before the age of 11. Yeah. Number one, 1970, Malone, New York, Bishop Smith Memorial Catholic School, kindergarten. <laughs> Miss Wamet. She looked like Mary Tyler Moore. She had black, black hair and red, red lips. And not Mary Tyler Moore now, who looks like uh, the Joker played by Mr. Jack Nicholson, right? <laughs> she looked like Mary Tyler Moore back then, who looked like Jackie Kennedy, except way prettier, right? And during story time, she would sit on the floor. Uh, you know that way that uh, women can, some women can sit on the floor where they're sort of sitting down, but their legs are tucked to the side and behind them? like a model on The Price is Right who's showing off the Broyhill wall-to-wall carpet you might win, right? <laughs> and one time Paula Matthews raised her hand and she said, Miss Wimette, Joey Connor was staring at your legs. And I was ashamed, right? And Miss Wimette looked at Paula Matthews and she said, Paula, legs are nothing, nothing different than just arms with feet. Uh, take that, Paula Matthews. Shut your ear with teeth. Her mouth. Okay. Miss Wemed was beautiful, and I loved her. I would kiss her goodbye every night on the way home from school and tell her, and she smelled so good. Oh, right? And then right before Christmas, she told us that uh, she was getting married, and she was moving to California. California, where they had hippies and movie stars, right? And I came back from Christmas, and she wasn't there, and she was replaced by Mrs. LeBrake, who kept her hair, her white, thin hair, in a tight bun on the back of her head, and she drove a Volkswagen Bug, not because it was cool, but because it was economical. <laughs> When I was a senior in high school, I was in the Rite Aid uh, drugstore, and I realized that I was behind Miss Wamette or Mrs. Whoever she was now in line, and, I, and she still was beautiful, and she still had black, black hair and red, red lips, and I didn't dare speak to her, but she was buying a box of uh, Russell Stover 
chocolates and uh, a Valentine's Day card because it was right around this time of year and she was putting it on the counter and I looked at her and I just thought to myself, whoever's getting that box of chocolates is one lucky bastard. <laughs> First grade, Sister Cyril, Catholic school. Sister Cyril was what they call a novice nun, meaning that she wasn't quite a nun, but she wasn't like a normal person either. <laughs> and so she had to wear all, uh, all white uh, habit. But it wasn't all the way down to the feet. It came down to her knee. Legs, right? <laughs> and she had to wear the, the thing, the headpiece, but it wasn't like the other nuns where you could only see part of her face. They call that a wimple. P.S. But, but you could see her whole face and she would wear it so like just one part of her blonde bangs would come out from underneath. I had never thought that nuns had hair and yet, yes, they did. And there was some blonde hair. And I grew up in northern New York where there wasn't any blonde people. So this was fascinating to me. And she fought for the right of the sixth grade girls to wear pants on Friday, right? Yeah, and at lunchtime sometimes, she'd let us watch Days of Our Lives on the television in the room where they would show people in bed. She was wild and I loved her. Mm. Right before Christmas, she told us that she was leaving the nunhood. I realized if God couldn't tame her, what chance did I have? <laughs> In third grade, I was an altar boy, right? In third grade, I was coming out of the church, and I had just uh, uh, served at 6.45 a.m., uh, mass, and I was coming out right after church, and there she was again, Sister Cyril, and she was still all dressed in white, except now it was uh, white, like, remember it was the 70s, right? It was white go-go boots and a, and a, and a, a short white miniskirt and this big white poncho, and she was smoking a cigarette, and all that blonde hair was piled up on top of her head, and I walked up to her, and I didn't know what else to call her, so I said, I said, hi, Sister Cyril. She took the cigarette out of her mouth and she looked at me, she goes down, she goes, no, no, dear, call me Beverly. <laughs> right? <laughs> Grade three, Miss Dumas. Miss Dumas was an old lady. <laughs> I will admit. But everybody loved Miss Dumas. I suddenly had competition, you know? <laughs> and everybody would jockey for position who got to sit next to Miss Dumas at lunch, that sort of thing, right? And you had to be really good in order to catch the eye of Miss Dumas. And one time, I, uh, I didn't do my homework, and she asked me why, and I lied and told her my mother was an alcoholic. <laughs> Which she was, isn't. 
but I knew from an after-school special that that got you out of stuff. <laughs> and she just took my hand and she goes, I understand. She understood everything and I loved her. People would bring her, um, like, things, you know, all the time, every day, somebody was presenting her with a gift, a snack, or a token of some sort. It was like we were all presenting gifts to, you know, our queen. She was like the fucking Khaleesi, right? <laughs> that we were, and you would drop it on her desk and you would walk back. Does she accept my gift? I didn't know what to give her. So I gave her uh, a zinger. I don't think they have zingers anymore, and I don't think they ever had zingers in Canada. Do you know what a zinger is? A zinger is like a Twinkie, yeah? It's shaped like a Twinkie, except um, it has like a chocolate, like, roof on it that you can peel back. You know that kind of frosting on cheap snacks that is also like molding clay? You know what I mean? You could peel it back all in one piece to reveal these weird, these three cream injection holes. <laughs> and I gave it to her. Okay, a child psychologist would tell you that I gave her a penis, right? <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I respected her. <laughs> At the end of the week on Friday, she would, because she put everything in her top left-hand drawer, and on Fridays, all the things that were in there, she would, uh, she'd make up raffle tickets, and you'd get raffle tickets in class, and then she'd raffle off everything from her top left-hand drawer. Uh, whatever people gave her, you know? Samples of uh, hand lotion and all sorts of things, and everybody was so excited to get it. I noticed on that week, uh, she didn't raffle off the zinger. The queen accepted my gift, right? <laughs> At the end of third grade, she uh, told us that she was also going to be our fourth grade teacher. She was moving up with us, she said, and it was so exciting. I thought another whole year with Miss Dumas. Over the summer, her mom became uh, sick, and she had to go and live with her mother in Utica, New York. And she never came back, and I never saw her again. Grade five, Miss Silver. Miss Silver uh, was groovy <laughs> and young, you know? She wore crocheted vests and uh, like these things called earth shoes where the front was higher than the back. It's the 70s, y'all. And she wore big chunky glasses and like, a, like a, a, a beret to school. If she lived in Montreal right now, she would work at a coffee shop in the Mile End. <laughs> the kind that like, I, I'm not allowed to go to, right? And she had like a, like a silver Christmas tree uh, at Christmas time. And she would have art projects where she would like gather styrofoam cups and... Um, what are those things? Pipe cleaners, yeah? And uh, construction paper. And she would display everybody's stuff. And, and she was like, she was artsy and I loved her, right? And I remember one day in the, in the hallway, we had gone on a class trip to Park Safari and I had taken some pictures and I was showing them to her. And she went through every picture and she told me how great they were and how, uh, 
how I might be, uh, have real talent and how I could possibly uh, become a photographer myself, an artist, me. I saw these pictures about, uh, I don't know, about 10 years ago, and all they were, I swear to God, were just a blurry tail, and there was an ear somewhere, a lot of my foot. <laughs> but she did that. One time, she said that uh, I should become a, uh, uh, an announcer because I spoke with inflection, and I didn't know what that meant, so I went home and asked my dad, and he told me, and I went in the next day, and I said, Thank you. <laughs> at the end of the school year, she got married and went to work at the public school where I had heard they let kids smoke and they made you do drugs. <laughs> I worried about her for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the weird part. I'm a teacher now, myself. And I'm pretty good, I think. I won awards. Uh, local. <laughs> Still. And I was thinking, I was, I, was, I was dreaming up this little ditty to tell you tonight, that all I really want is... When I do stop teaching, when I retire or go and do something else, I want every student I had uh, to never forgive me for it. And that's all I want. Thank you. Confabulation will return a bunch in February, actually. We've got two shows scheduled in Montreal. The first is Saturday, February 7th at Mainline Theatre, and that's Confabulation Presents Good Date, Bad Date, Stories of Extremes in Dating. As is my recollection, all dating is extremes. Then we return for Nuit Blanche on Saturday the 28th, still at Mainline, still at 8, but we'll be doing the latest iteration of Confabulation Presents The Shortest Story, 32 two-minute stories, 32 two-minute or less stories, I should say. One of my favorite nights of the year. We're going to have to take a breather in March, but after that, we'll be back in April on the 4th. Confabulation, the podcast, is produced by Paula Flalo and hosted by Matt Goldberg. For more on Confabulation, you can check out confabulationmontreal.com or check us out on Facebook, the preferred social platform for everyone whose name is not Paula Flalo. Confabulation, the podcast, is distributed by No More Radio, available every week at nomoradio.com. Support for No More Radio comes from Montreal Improv. You can check them out at montrealimprov.com. 